0: Well, good morning, everybody. Let's do it again, sure. Good to see you guys, kind of. I can kind of see it. It's kind of dark. It's kind of bright up here. Glad you guys are here. My name's Dan, if I haven't met you. I hope you guys are having a good Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you for being here. And uh, I'm excited today. We're going to start this new series leading up to Christmas Eve called The Cast of Christmas. And as many of you know, this season that we now find ourselves in between Thanksgiving and Christmas can, can, uh, can be a bit of an emotional roller coaster uh, for many of us. Uh, many of us, you know, putting up Christmas lights, finding a Christmas tree, writing Christmas cards, baking Christmas cookies, throwing your diet out the window. Uh, Attending Christmas programs, shopping for Christmas presents, maybe some of you have been doing that this weekend already. Spending time with extended family, as, as some of you may have done this weekend, which which, which can be a blend of emotions. Uh, watching movies, singing Christmas carols. All these things are good, but uh, they can also be stressful. They kind of hit us all at once. And for some of us, this time of year might bring feelings of great sadness too with the, with the happy feelings we might be missing a, a dear loved one who's passed away uh, we might be missing other people in our lives who for whatever reason we, we won't see this Christmas maybe maybe a loved one who lives a long ways away and, and uh, we just we, we can't afford to travel and see them this, this Christmas season or maybe we have somebody in our family who's in the military and, and they won't be home for Christmas And for some of us, this time of year might bring to the surface feelings that we have about God that we we try to suppress the rest of the year. Feelings of of disappointment with God. Feelings of of doubt about God and about his promises. Feeling, Feeling that God is absent, that he's not with us. If you feel that way, this Christmas season. If you're starting to feel that way, if you feel that way in the next few weeks, you should know that you are not alone. And it is actually, uh, it, was, it was in the midst of a people feeling like that 2,000 years ago that Jesus Christ was born into. Before Jesus Christ was born in the, in the first century AD, God had been silent for 400 years, okay? That's four centuries. It's way older than our country. It's not that God wasn't at work in the world. It's, It's not that the scriptures disappeared, but for 400 years, God had not spoken a prophetic word through his prophets as he had done in the past. And surely by the first century B.C., many people were filled, with, filled with, with questions about God, right? Is, is God still there? Why is, he, why is he silent? Why isn't he answering our prayers? Has he forgotten about us? Is God ever gonna speak again? Is God, is God gonna do everything that he promised to do? And then, after 400 years of silence, God spoke. Luke one to two tells us that God sent angels from heaven to earth with good news. And the angels appeared to a young woman named Mary and to her fiancee named Joseph and to Mary's cousins. And the angels told them that, that God is coming into the world, that he's adding human flesh to himself to God the Son, who's gonna be born to a virgin named Mary, in this supernatural divine baby would rescue humanity from sin and bring them back to God. And then after Jesus was born, there was more confirmation from God. His, His parents brought him to the temple and God raised up prophets and they spoke as they hadn't spoken in hundreds of years. And they said, this is the Messiah. And, and, and they, they said that God is doing a glorious new thing through this baby. Well, even though God had been silent for a long time, even though people did not understand what God was doing in the silence, God was up to something very good. And maybe that's a message that you need to hear today. Even when life gets very dark around us, even when God's silence seems deafening, even when we, we don't know if we can trust God, God is up to something good in the lives of those who love Him. This is the message of Christmas. God breaks into our dark world and he's with us in the darkness. He's the light in the darkness. When our doubts about God's promises are numerous, God comes to us and meets us with compassion. And even though God often does not move as quickly as we'd like him to, his timing is perfect. And he will bring to fruition every promise he's ever given to us in his word. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the diverse cast of individuals that God selected to welcome his son into the world. An unlikely cast from a world's perspective. And this morning, we're going to look at how God used his prophets to play a crucial role in the coming of Christ. And specifically, I want to answer three questions about God's ancient prophets and about their prophecies. First, what was a prophet before the birth of Jesus Christ? What was a prophet? Second, what did the prophets prophesy about the birth of the Messiah? What, what exactly did they prophesy about the birth of Jesus Christ? And third, how do God's prophecies help us to enjoy God more at Christmas time? How did God's prophecies help us enjoy Him more at Christmas time? First, then, what was a prophet before the birth of Jesus Christ? We might refer to the time of history before Jesus was born as, as the Old Testament times. Um, in the Old Testament, a prophet was a man or woman called by God to communicate God's message to the world. And sometimes God spoke through his prophets a message that was forth telling, and sometimes it was a message that was foretelling. So sometimes it was a forth telling message, which is a message for the people who were alive at the same time as the prophet. It was an edifying message for them, calling them to holiness or encouraging them. And other times, God spoke through his prophets a message that was foretelling. It was a prophetic description of something God said would happen in the future. And sometimes a prophet's words were written down, and sometimes they weren't written down. But a true prophet of God was required to speak God's word with 100% accuracy Because if a prophet uh, prophesied something that that did not align with the rest of God's word, or if a prophet prophesied something that did not come to pass, then that prophet would be considered a false prophet and could be put to death. So prophecy was a very serious thing. And here's what God said uh, about his prophets in Deuteronomy 18, 18 to 22. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name I myself will require it of him but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods that Same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So, since a prophet could be put to death for speaking a false prophecy, which there were many false prophets, prophecy uh, was not an activity to be done carefree or flippantly. Um, And being a prophet was not a particularly fun job. It was not an easy job because God often spoke through his prophets words of rebuke, words of warning to his people, and also to foreign nations. And so many of, of, of God's prophets suffered at the hands of the people to whom they were prophesying because people, just like today, don't want to hear bad news from God. They want to hear what they want to hear from God. But, and so what they did is they said, well, we don't like these prophets because even if it's true, we don't like what they're saying. We would rather have the false prophets who tell us what we want to hear. So they often suffered and tortured God's prophets. Now, Again, a prophet in the Old Testament times was a person called by God to communicate God's words to the world. Okay. Second, then, what did the prophets prophesy about the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, the Old Testament includes many prophecies about Jesus, about his his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and All of those prophets, uh, those prophecies, remember, were written at least 400 years before Jesus was born. And some were written more than 1,400 years before Jesus was born. And the words of the prophets, they speak a consistent message. They tell us uh, about our need to be rescued from sin specifically from from bondage or imprisonment or slavery to sin. Sin, again, is, is, is disobedience to God. Sin is rebellion against our creator and against the commands he's given to us. And the reason that we sin is because now we are born sinful. It was not always that way, though. Ever since God punished Adam and Eve for their rebellion against him, the curse upon all humanity has been sinfulness, sinfulness. Every part of our being now is completely enslaved to sin. Our, our desires are warped by sin. Our thoughts, our wills, our bodies groan. They're, they're decaying because of sin. Our, our relationships Break because of sin. We are enslaved to sin. We cannot free ourselves from the bondage to sin. And to make it worse, God's punishment for our sin is death. And not only death, but everything that then sadly leads to death, like destruction and decay and suffering. And that punishment is both in this life and for eternity after this life because we are made in God's image. Though we do have a start point, we do not have an ending point. We will exist after this life on earth. But God, listen to this, but God, who is rich in mercy, who is rich in grace he promised to send us a rescuer he promised to send us a messiah I mean a savior who would free us from our bondage to sin and it was Jesus this baby born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth and killed outside of Jerusalem and physically raised into heaven he is the Messiah he's come and in order then to set us free from this sin, how, how did he do this? To set us free from sin, Jesus became our sin. And that's what happened while he hung on the cross. He became our sin. First Peter 2.24 says that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. So so he became our sin and then he suffered God's wrath toward our sin. He absorbed all of God's wrath toward our sin in his body so that he could ultimately put our sin to death in his own death. Christ died for us and our sin died in his body. And consequently, all the consequences of sin for us died when Christ died too. And then we read, though, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead in glory. And he told us that whoever trusts in him will be united to him, will be united to what he accomplished in his death and resurrection. We, then, can now be eternally freed from sin and decay and destruction and death through faith in Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did, we can now be reconciled to God. That means we were enemies, but now we can be friends again with God. It means that just as we were cast away from God outside of the garden, now because of Jesus, we can come back in, into God's presence. And that's only available in Jesus because of what Jesus alone has accomplished. And this plan of amazing rescue from sin is what God was revealing through his prophets before Jesus came, bit by bit, through, uh, through uh, dozens of centuries. God was pointing the Jews and all of the whole world to this coming Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century AD about those ancient prophets before Christ was born. through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Angels long to look into this gospel. And because the, the Old Testament includes so many different prophecies about Jesus, we can't look at all of them right now, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about the main prophecies about the birth of Christ. The main prophecies that, Look forward to Jesus' coming. And let's start with Genesis 3.15, the first book of the Bible. God curses the serpent for tempting Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And, and then within the curse itself, God gives a promise of redemption. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Hostility, okay? You'll be enemies, that's enmity. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this promise from God uh, to the woman's offspring to bruise the head of the serpent is known as the Proto-Evangelion or the Proto-Gospel or the First Gospel. In the proto-gospel here, it's it's a bit veiled by our English translation. It's clearer in the original Hebrew language in which it was written. When God describes the enmity he will put between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring, the Hebrew word for offspring is seed. Hebrew professor Rick Hess writes this, it's unusual for the woman to have seed. Normally the man bears seed and it is his seed that one might expect as the reference here. The fact that the seed belongs to the woman opens up the door to a greater interpretation regarding the virgin birth and the coming of Christ. Right? The seed, sinfulness is passed down through the seed of man. Mary was a virgin, Joseph was not part of the picture the Holy Spirit miraculously conceived Jesus inside the Virgin Mary. Now move forward a little bit in Genesis. Genesis 12, one to three. We read then how God called this man named Abraham, Abram. And he promised to bless the whole world through this man, Abram. And it says in Genesis 12, one to three, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promised to bless all the families of the earth through the family line of this one man Abram, how would God do that by having Jesus Christ born in Abram's family line 2,000 years later? Think about that 2,000 years later. (laughs) This is why the genealogy or the family line of Jesus is so important. The first verse of the New Testament describes Jesus' family relationship to Abraham. Matthew 1.1 starts with, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we see that not only must the Messiah here be born in the line of Abraham, but the Messiah must also be be born in the line of David. And about 700 years before Jesus Christ's birth, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied about a king who would be the true and better king than David. And Jeremiah 23.5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So Jesus came as our king who ushered in the kingdom of God on earth. And his father Joseph, who was from the house of David, was also born in the line of Abraham. And so Jesus fulfilled the ancient prophecies perfectly. He was both the Son of David, and going back 2,000 years directly in the line of Abraham. And around the same time that God raised up this prophet Jeremiah, God also raised up a prophet named Isaiah. In 700 years before Jesus Christ's birth, Isaiah 7:14 wrote, "Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, or check this out because it's going to blow your mind, okay? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the sign that the Lord gave to us to know who the Savior would be is that the Savior was gonna be born to a virgin. So the sign is gonna be so clear that it will be something that the naturalistic world says isn't possible, it can't happen. So the Savior would be born to a woman who had never been with a man. And the title of the Savior would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now I wonder how the, the prophet Isaiah felt while the Holy Spirit led him to write those words, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Right? Remember that Isaiah's neck is on the line here. If he got this prophecy wrong, he's gonna be stoned to death, Okay. When Isaiah penned God's words, was Isaiah filled with a fear that that lacked faith in God to do this? Or when he, he penned this, was Isaiah filled with a great fear of God and awe of God because he trusted God to actually do this? We don't know. But we know this. Isaiah wasn't the only prophet to receive and then communicate very specific details about the Messiah's birth. Around the same time that God called Jeremiah and he called Isaiah, he also called a man named Micah. 700 years before Jesus' birth. And God spoke these words through Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Ephrathah is the region in which Bethlehem is. <coughs> you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from, of old, from ancient days. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I haven't preached in a few weeks. <coughs> like the prophet Isaiah, though, I wonder if Micah was hesitant at all to write this one down. Bethlehem was a small town. Statistically speaking, it would have been way better to write down Jerusalem. You just have a better chance of a baby being born in Jerusalem. <clears throat> or, you know, he could have put somewhere in the eastern hemisphere. This is going to happen, right? But no, Micah, he wasn't making up the prophecies. He's writing down God's revealed word. And then 700 years in this region of Ephrathah, in the town of Bethlehem, in the city of David, a baby is born to a virgin. And Joseph, the man to whom the virgin was betrothed, was a direct descendant of both David and Abraham. And this baby named Jesus, which means the Lord saves, would have his heel bruised by Satan. Satan would fill humans to carry out Jesus' crucifixion on a Roman cross. But through that very same crucifixion, Jesus bruised the head of Satan and guaranteed Satan's future destiny in the lake of fire, as described in the book of Revelation. That doesn't happen by chance, that's design. Even though the Old Testament prophets had, had all passed away before Jesus Christ was born, their, their prophecies remained. Even though Jesus' birth was preceded by 400 years of prophetic silence, God had not forgotten his people. God entered our dark, doubting, rebellious world with the light of his Son to show us the truth and to show us salvation. And he says that everyone who trusts in him, that is who does not trust in themselves or in their stuff or in other gods or in their culture, but who trusts in Christ alone will be rescued and redeemed through faith in him. And so this brings us to point number three. How do God's prophecies then help us enjoy God more at Christmas time? <clears throat> I have three ideas. First, God's prophecies help us enjoy God at Christmas time because they proclaim that Jesus is the savior of the world. Okay? The whole creation groans for salvation from its bondage to sin. It's what the New Testament says. That the fulfilled prophecies of Christ's birth preach to us you hear that? These prophecies are preaching to us that suffering and decay and death do not have, will not have the last word for us. In Christ, there will be an end to suffering. In Christ, there will be an end to decay. In Christ, there, there will be an end to brokenness and to death because Jesus has come. He has died to save us and he is alive in and he's waiting to come back. And the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Maybe I said that wrong. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that baby in the manger tell us, you guys? When we see the manger over there, this is what the baby says. God wants good for us. God wants good for us. God is full of compassion toward us. He's full of grace. He's full of unparalleled mercy. What a wonderful God we have. And Jesus is his name. Second then, God's prophecies help us enjoy God at Christmas time because they remind us that God does everything he promises to do. He does everything he promises to do. Numbers 23, 19 says this God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So God says, He's not like you and me. God is not weak. God is not unable to do the impossible. God does not lie. God does not make promises to do things and then fall short of his promises. So if you are trusting in Christ, then know this, God's promise of salvation is completed, just like Jesus promised. You have crossed over from death to life in Christ. God has filled you and sealed you with his Holy Spirit. You have been justified in God's sight. You are by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you being sanctified and transformed into Christ's likeness. You will be raised and glorified by God on the last day. You will have no more suffering, sadness, or pain after this life. God is with you, Christian. He is for you. That's a message of Christmas. And remember that message every time you look at a nativity scene this Christmas season. And third, God's prophecies help us enjoy God at Christmas time because they encourage us to show love to others like God has loved us. They encourage us this Christmas season to show love to others the way that God has loved us. It's by God's grace alone that he loves us. He doesn't love us because we are extremely lovable. God loves us because he loves us by his grace. He does not love us begrudgingly. We have not earned this love. We can't pay back his love. God just loves us. And he has proved that throughout all of human history, and he's proved that most clearly by giving us Jesus. And and just as God has showed us his love by his grace, may we then, Jesus tells us, love others by the power of the Spirit, by the gracious power of the Holy Spirit this Christmas season. Let's show the love of Christ for others through our kind and encouraging words this season. May we love others through generous and unexpected gifts to others, through time that we spend together, through caring for the poor among us, through doing for others what we would have others do for us. Because in Christ, we are the true children of Abraham. We have been blessed by God, what does he say in Genesis 12? In order to bless others. So I encourage you to think of specific people in your life, family, friends, neighbors, strangers, coworkers, to whom you can show the gracious, compassionate love of Christ this Christmas season. Not because they're lovable, but because you're loving them by the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Whether this Christmas season for you is uh, is marked by lots of laughter and celebration, and/or with tears and heartache, or both, I, I I pray that you would look to the manger of Christ and see the God who has come to wipe away your tears. That you would see that He is the God who died for you, not when you had your act together, but while you were still sinful. Romans 5, 8 says, he is the Christ, Jesus, described by the prophets, anticipated for thousands of years, and he's available to all who trust in him. And may that make us glad, you guys. (laughs) That is the best part of this season. It's not in all the other distractions, it is this. Jesus Christ has come and he's filled us with his love so that we might bless others. If you've trusted in Jesus, <clears throat> I want to invite you to, we're going to take communion together, the Lord's Supper together today. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus, we love you, we're glad you're here, and I pray that you would. Um, and if you have questions about Jesus or Christianity, set up a time and, and talk with, with a Christian about those questions. Or me, I'd be happy to meet with you. But as, as the the... Servers come forward here. Let's just take a few minutes of silence to talk to the Lord. God says that if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. So take a few minutes, thank him, confess sin to him, and praise him for his love and his compassion and for being with us. Let's take a few minutes of prayer. Lord, we thank you that uh, we, this time of year, remember that you have come that you are with us, that you care about us and want friendship with us. You want each of us to have a personal relationship with you. You care about us, you made us, and you died to save us, and you rose again. Thank you, God. That's what we want to celebrate now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.